You're listening to Women Speaking Truth, a podcast that inspires women to know God deeper and equips them to take the next step in their God-given callings. My name is Andy Bruce, and I'm so passionate about helping women develop their character and understand their callings that I went out and got a doctorate degree in leadership. Now I'm sharing practical tools about leadership development through a biblical lens so that God can empower and ignite ordinary women like you and I to make His impact on our world. Friends! Welcome to the podcast. It has been a long time. I mean, a long time. Geesh, time has flown by. A lot has happened. I kind of feel like I need to reintroduce myself again. Hey, friends, I'm Andy, Andy Bruce. I love leaders. I love leadership. I love moving with God into new places. So that's what we talk about on this podcast. Okay, so brace yourself because I'm wired relationally. I just can't get right to business or right to the podcast until I relationally connect for a little bit by catching up and sharing. So here's my catch up. Just about all the Bruces got COVID in October. And of course, we basically got it one at a time, you know, just when one would end on day eight or nine, the next person would get it. And then on their day eight or nine, the next person. So it was long. Okay. Now, we're not necessarily long haulers, but I kind of feel like we should be because that was a long haul. Everybody got it except my middle child, Jayla. Somehow she escaped the big COVID. Then at the end of that spell, a really close and dear friend of mine and my family suddenly passed away. And I'll tell you, that one has been tough. That one has been really, really tough. I just started looking at her pictures in the last, I don't know, few weeks. And I got to tell you, grief is hard. So I know a few friends who are wrestling in grief, and I just got to say my heart is with you. Then we decided to pull my daughter from her public high school. And now I'm a homeschool mom. (laughs) Okay, I can't even say that with a straight face. I'm a homeschool mom. And I'll tell you, it's been so much fun. And in the midst of all of this, I started a new job about a year ago. But for me, it takes about a year to get my legs fully under me and to start feeling, I don't know, confident, like I know what I'm doing in that role. So lots to learn, lots of life happening. Uh, I'm still a slow learner. I need to develop really inefficient processes for my new job and how that goes with mothering, with being a friend and a wife and leading a very small little ministry called Women Speaking Truth. So I love what I'm doing, just lots of change. And this isn't even counting being in a new season spiritually and walking through parenting teens and tweens. So in a nutshell, that's my catch up. Now, my friends, we could get down to business. So guess what we're talking about for, I don't know, the next four weeks or so. It's exciting. And maybe we'll make some of you stop this podcast right now. We're talking about spiritual warfare and leaders. We're talking about spiritual warfare and leaders. So I would imagine that those who are listening, uh, some would say, oh, I totally know what that means specifically from a biblical context and why that's needed. 
And I would just imagine some are like, oh, wow, that's not something I expected. Um, So lesson, as leaders, we know we face challenges. We know that. That's literally when you're a leader, what you sign up for, to do hard things. You make hard decisions. You have hard conversations. You work with hard people. You lead with hard people. You have not enough resources or hard things happening at home while you're leading, perhaps at a hard area at work or in another spot. You get your feelings hurt. You hurt other people's feelings. Oh my gosh, the list just goes on and on. Some of these hard things come because, of course, a lack of your experience, right? Maybe even from a lack of emotional and spiritual maturity, or as the current literature today says, a lack of emotional intelligence, either in you or in others or both. And on and on this list goes for why leading is hard. But here's the thing. Leaders expect this. Leaders know it's going to be a hard road. We know people aren't perfect, and we're the first ones to raise our hands to say, hey, I'm not perfect. But there's a whole other element to leadership. And I want to even say kind of boldly, even to your leadership, that absolutely catches us off guard far too often. Leadership and life just aren't hard. There's this major spiritual battle happening right under our noses. Listen, sometimes those hard things are happening to you and around you, and it's spiritual warfare. But if you're like me, I don't know, I completely forget at times that I'm not dealing with just normal situations. I'm not dealing with what the Bible will call flesh and blood and life as I know it. I totally forget at times that scripture says our reality is not just flesh and blood and what I can see. Our reality is that we wrestle against spiritual forces. Because the wrestling is invisible, you know, like we can't see demons, we can't see Satan, we can't see his minions. And so for me, when it's out of sight, I'll tell you far too often, it's out of mind and therefore easy to forget. But the enemy of God, Satan, the enemy of your soul and my soul, Satan himself, listen, he always fights dirty, He never goes away completely. His intent is your destruction. Specifically, his aim is to destroy the power of God in your life. Over the next few weeks, you're going to hear those words a lot. Why? Because we foolishly forget that Satan always fights dirty. We naively forget that he never goes away completely. We blindly forget that his end game has not and will not change. His end game is the total destruction of our faith, period. So that's where we're headed. I hope you're feeling encouraged. (laughs) So let's talk about spiritual warfare and leadership specifically. So what we're not going to do, just by the way, a quick caveat, what I'm going to share over the next four weeks or so is simply, oh, and I really want you to hear, hear this and catch this, I'm going to share with you my personal experiences. So you're going to hear my stories. You're going to hear my examples. You're going to hear those that I've had first or secondhand knowledge of, of friends and other leaders around me, because this is what I have to share. I have 
my experiences to share. But I'm also going to share even today what I've learned, how Satan totally blindsided me, and the tactics he used to do it. Therefore, keep in mind, I'm not aiming to be comprehensive or exhaustive. I am absolutely aiming 100% to be biblical. You'll hear that. But I'm just going to bottom line, simply share my experience, my internal and external process, what I've learned, what scripture has to say, because my hope is that you'll hear my experiences and think to yourself this. For me, it wasn't quite like that. It was like this or like this. Oh, that's what happened to Andy. That's not my experience. My experience is this or that's not how I respond to stuff like that. I respond like this. Because when you can understand what the patterns and tactics from the enemy look like for you, man, that's half the battle right there. So today, I'm going to share my leadership slash spiritual warfare story, and then I'm going to highlight a few things. So super simple, because I want you to know how did this get started for me? And why are we talking about that? So that's where we're headed today. I'm going to share my leadership slash spiritual warfare story. And then we're just going to highlight a few things that, in my opinion, are absolutely worth knowing. So to begin, let me remind you of my personal leadership context. I was doing ministry for seven years back in California. I was young, like early, early 20s but totally washed my hands of ministry and leadership because of major hurt and burnout. But when it comes to calling, God don't play around. And he called me back to gently, beautifully called me back to a life of ministry and leading. I was growing in Christ like I'd never grown before. I was spending time with Jesus in his word and in prayer. I could not get enough of my Jesus. I was for the first time, inviting God into new places in my life that up until this point, I avoided or hoped would go away or was naive about even inviting God into those places because of a lack of modeling of this in my previous church. But where this story picks up, people around me were modeling a new way of knowing God. And I tell you, I wanted in. I wanted to know God. I wanted him so badly. And for real, bottom line, God was wanting to know me and initiating and initiating and leading me toward him. So I was leading women, which was totally new for me. By the way, I did not like women. I did not ask for this. I had zero desire to love or lead women. But there was a small group that was kind of thrown into my lap, like for real thrown into my lap of young women around my age. And that small group grew to like, I don't know, 60 or 70 women. This was an incredibly fruitful time in my life. Particularly what's interesting is even in spite of my personal sin that I'm telling you was a problem. And man, the fruit that God was producing in the ministry I led, it it was gorgeous. Women were coming to know Jesus. Women were teaching other women the Bible. Women were maturing in Christ, and it was changing how they lived and how they went home and how they went to work. I could go on and on with stories about what God was doing amongst these women. 
But of course, we know this. There were very, very difficult situations to deal with. I led things before. (laughs) I say this with a chuckle. I had led things before, but I had never led like this before. You know what I mean? There were hard situations. There were hard calls to make. Oh, the hard sin to deal with. Listen, when women learn to truly live and be in community, watch out because stuff goes bananas and it hits the fan and it gets messy. You know, like when women are confessing horrible sin to one another. And how do you equip women to not take on the burden of that sin or not feel responsible? And helping women create boundaries that were healthy, women hurting one another and having to work it out instead of just be angry and leave. Uh, Learning boundaries about, oh my gosh, in community, women learning boundaries about loaning money versus giving money and how to love women. Oh my goodness, we had many, I wouldn't say many, a small handful of women in our community, or at least a handful who were gay, but moving toward Jesus and me personally having to really look at scripture carefully to see how do we handle these things? I never had to lead like this before. On and on and on this list goes of things that were just messy leadership, but it was so full of Jesus and so full of his spirit and discipleship and life, and love, and forgiveness, and laughter, and depth. And it wasn't just the sin of those women. I tell you, I was in a wrestling match with my own sin. And much of the time, my sin was winning. Now, I want to ask you a very hypothetical, and kind of bizarre kind of question. If you wanted Let's just remember this is hypothetical. If you wanted to destroy someone so that they would no longer be effective, so that they would no longer be influential in the lives of others, so that others would disregard and leave what was their impactful environment. Here's my question. If you wanted to destroy that, how would you do that? Seriously, Like, think about it. Think about a person, particularly a woman who's really impactful with Jesus, and you wanted to cut them off at the knees so they could no longer make a difference, so that the life of Christ would no longer flow through them. How would you go about doing that incognito? Okay. Intimidation comes quick to mind. Fear you know, make that woman afraid, intimidate her, manipulate her, deceive her. Oh my gosh, confuse her. Pretend that you're going to be helpful to her or put her in situations and then just tell her things that you know are not true. These are fantastic tactics and it's exactly what the enemy uses in your life and in my life. So, Specifically, here's how this would play out for me. This is how spiritual warfare played out. I remember, I remember the first time the lights came on for me, meaning like I was finally aware of what was actually happening and it was spiritual warfare. 
So I had just led a three-day retreat for about 60 to 70 women. It was amazing. If my memory serves me right, eight women came to Christ over those three days. Sin was shared. Women prayed for other women who had just confessed their sin. There was accountability. There was depth of worship. The Bible was taught. And women who simply respected the Bible were starting to love and read the Bible for themselves, just wanting to know God. They were obeying in hard ways. It was just beautiful. And it was so clear God was doing the work. So on my drive home, I was on cloud nine and I was praying and worshiping and just saying, God, did you see what you just did? You're amazing. And God, remember what you did in her. Are you kidding me? (laughs) Like we thought that was impossible. And Lord, did you see her and how she responded? Wow, God, you did all that. And on and on and on. My just adoration and awe of all that God had done was just being expressed by me. And as I drove the 15 minutes home, that's all it was, just 15 minutes home, And of course, I was exhausted and elated and thanking God for all he just did. I was tired, so tired. And I walk in the door of my little house and I tell my husband how amazing this weekend was and all that God did. And I was spent. And I'm hugging kids and still trying to talk, you know, as they're showing me things and sitting on my lap and showing me all the little toys and and all the mess that they made and trying to still tell Andy, oh my gosh, and then this happened. I was spent. I didn't know yet that the fruitfulness of God, listen, listen, I didn't know yet that the fruitfulness of God was the tall grass for the lion who is the enemy to hide in before he pounces. I was so entranced by what God had just done that I never even considered a spiritual enemy real enough and personal enough to to care, to take notice of me. I mean, for real, why on earth would Satan care about me? Or frankly, you? Why would he notice 60 goofy young women having a glorified sleepover? What I didn't know at the time was this. Whatever God cares about, Satan takes notice of. I'm going to say it one more time. What I didn't know at that time was this. Whatever God cares about, Satan takes notice of. Whenever God moves, Satan sabotages or at least seeks to sabotage. If God's moving, Satan's prowling, you could take this one to the bank. Personally, I did not know this yet. I assumed Satan was only interested in big things, in big leaders, in big events. Nope. He's interested in undermining and destroying the things that God is building and doing, period. Back to the story. So I was home and I was tired and I was in awe of what God had just done. The next day, I was home with my three tiny babies doing laundry and playing and changing diapers and the whole thing, and still in awe and worshiping God for what he had done. 
And as I was going about my day, I kept thinking, you will disappoint these women. Andy, you will disappoint these women. Okay, so you had a great weekend. Now, Andy, they expect bigger and better, and you're never going to be able to pull that off. Bigger and better, Andy. What else have you got up your sleeve? What's your next trick going to be, huh? You can't do it again. And oh, how you're going to disappoint all those women. Bigger and better, Andy, because now they expect more of you. And you're not going to be able to do it. How embarrassing for you. They will be so disappointed by you. And then, of course, God's going to be disappointed in you. What an embarrassment you are. And on and on and on these out of nowhere thoughts came. I mean, all day long. And I mean, the next day and the next day, just bombarded with the same trashy thoughts of bigger and better. I will disappoint others and God and how embarrassing that is for me. I tell you, those thoughts felt absolutely true (laughs) and completely overwhelming. And it felt true and it felt overwhelming and it felt more true and it felt more overwhelming. And then it felt even more true and more overwhelming. You get the picture. So what do you do when you're bombarded with your own thoughts, seemingly your own thoughts, telling you how disappointing others will be in your leadership, that God's disappointed because you can't keep this up, and that people expect more from you because you're naive um, and you don't know what you're doing, and you buy it all hook, line, and sinker? What do you do? I'll tell you exactly what I did. I hid. I hid. I avoided people. I avoided God. I isolated. I stopped looking at my phone. I canceled meetings over the next few days. And then I started lying to cover my tracks because even canceling meetings and avoiding my phone and isolating, one, it was 100% a response to those lies. But two, Because I did believe that I was going to disappoint and embarrass myself, disappoint others and embarrass myself, it just felt like the right thing to do to isolate and hide. And because I was so naive of what was really going on, I actually believed all of these lies that now I realize were from the enemy. So here's how it went for me. So I'm going to just tell you straight. So I avoid people because I thought I would only disappoint them. And they're texting me, right? But I self-protect and I isolate and I see that they've texted and then texted again and then said, hey, are you getting my texts? And I respond, oh, (laughs) oh, lol. Sorry about that. My kids misplaced my phone all day. Lie. And I lied to cancel the meeting and I lied to justify it to not just other people, but to myself. And I believed the lies. Hey gang, I'm so exhausted from this weekend. So let's just cancel our meeting. Totally believable, right? Not true. 
but it's what I needed because I believed that they just wanted and expected more and more and more from me, which I couldn't deliver. And I believed I was going to disappoint them and God. So instead of doing the thing that God's actually called me to do to lead these women, I isolated. I disappeared. So I want to catch it. Okay, so the lies from the enemy came. I bought it hook, line, and sinker. What those lines, what those lies produced was my own lying to cover my tracks for isolating. Then how did I cover my tracks? By lying. Do you get it? So here's bottom line what happened. I knew, I know now that those things weren't true, but I believed those lies that people just wanted more and more from me. And I knew I couldn't deliver it. And I actually believed that I was going to disappoint people and God. And instead of doing the thing that God actually called me to do, to lead these women, I isolated. You disappear. My friends, I wish I could say this pattern is unique to just me. It's not. I've observed this pattern over and over and over in women. This is the tactic of the enemy. Of course, the way the enemy gets you might have some nuance to it, but I'm willing to bet the general pattern of lie, isolate, lie, isolate, lie, isolate. I'll bet you it holds for you. And how it feels on your end is probably like this. I thought and I felt. I thought X, Y, Z and I felt X, Y, Z. I thought and I felt. And those thoughts and feelings were not from God. And it led you to isolation and stepping back temporarily from your calling. For me personally, this pattern held for over a year. And I'm telling you, it always sideswiped me. It left me feeling like, what on earth is the matter with me? Because I thought it was all me. I thought I was the problem and I was the issue. I didn't know that the enemy was having a field day with me. And not only a field day, I swear, each time this happened, it was more intense than the last. And for me, it picked up in frequency, leaving me craving more isolation, resulting in more shame. Fun pattern, right? That is the tactic of the enemy. Lie results in isolation. Until finally, I just couldn't take it anymore. Another powerful gathering of women had just occurred and I was leading and God just was moving deeply, beautifully. This whole thing happened yet again where God was moving and yet the enemy was just wrecking me. Seriously, just wrecking me. Finally, I was so beat up, so tired of the battle, so defeated truly contemplating walking away from my calling. Seriously. Seriously. It, I was getting so beat up that I felt like this is not worth it. I can't do this. I'm the problem. I think this will all go away and get better if I just throw my hands up and be like, God, sorry, I tried. I don't know what else to do. Seriously. And I will never forget that day in my kitchen. My babies were playing in the living room I was just assaulted for days by these vicious thoughts, and I had no idea where they were coming from. I had no idea that these were from the enemy. None. 
In fact, I thought it, listen to this, this is crazy. In fact, I thought at times these thoughts were from God. That is how naive I was about all this stuff. And I just couldn't take it any longer. I was at the end of my rope. And I remember so vividly turning off the kitchen sink and dropping to my knees on my hard tile cold floor and desperately, but boldly, I prayed, God, I can't do this anymore. I don't know what's wrong and I can't stop this, but God, I need this to stop. Lord, if you will teach me how to do this, I will teach other women too. I don't know why I prayed that last part. I vividly remember praying that, that last part being, Lord, if you'll teach me how to do this, I will teach other women too. And I remember opening my eyes and thinking, whoa, that was a weird thing to pray. And I thought about it for a minute and a hundred times since then. And I am convinced God gave that prayer to me to pray. God was working and using that exhausting, heartbreaking, overwhelming, and defeating season of being preyed upon by the enemy to eventually give me this strong desire and help me to see this strong need to equip other women who were leaders. So that's my story. And I want to spend the next couple minutes right now highlighting a few things that I personally think are important in this whole conversation. So let's catch a few things. These are important. Here's what's important. Number one, if God's moving, Satan is prowling. Seriously, here's the most important thing perhaps of this conversation And the reason I say that is I think because it opens our eyes to reality and doesn't allow us to be naive. So number one, if God's moving, Satan's prowling. First Peter 5 describes this very thing. It describes the roaring lion, Satan, and Satan's lurking and prowling and seeking someone to devour. The fruitfulness of God, listen, 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 the fruitfulness of God is the breeding ground for the high grass that the lion hides in. Got it? The fruitfulness of God. When God's moving and God is producing fruit, I'm telling you, it is the breeding ground for the high grass that the lion hides in. Let me be clear. It's not the only one. But remember, I'm talking to leaders and leaders are about moving with the spirit of God and letting God use them in such a way that God gets to grow fruit. As a leader, the fruitfulness of God is the breeding ground for the high grass that the lion hides in. Number two, I thought and I felt. I thought and I felt. I thought and I felt. And I was stuck. I had no idea that the enemy lied. I thought those were my thoughts. And I believed every single one of them. That's a pattern. This whole I thought and I felt. I thought and I felt that we're going to come back to. For now, just sort of pin that in your mind. Number three. So Satan's the roaring lion, right? And lions are predators, right? So to kill, the lion looks at the pack or the herd of animals. And he chooses one. Just one at a time. 
the lion doesn't go after the whole pack. Nope, they focus on one of the herd or one of the game in the pack. And when it comes to leadership, man, if he can pounce on the leader, he will. So that's number three. This lion, Satan, who is a predator, chooses one often in the herd and pounces. Number four, when the lion strikes and wounds a leader, the result is often and typically isolation. I'm going to say that one more time. When the lion strikes and wounds the leader, what happens? Most often we see that leader hightail for isolation. Satan's lies produce self-inflicted isolation. He's going to lie and he's going to lie. And it's going to be kind of the natural response of the leader to inflict isolation, to just run and hide because the leader thinks, I can't make this. I can't take the journey. I can't go on any longer because Satan's lies produce shame about the identity and the calling of the leader. And when the leader buys it, he or she thinks they don't want me. God doesn't want me. They must think I'm fill in the blank. I don't have anything to offer. Why did I think I could make a difference? I'm never going to be able to handle fill in the blank and I can't be used by God. And it's so shameful and shame always results in and produces isolation. Number five, when you've been lied to and you choose to isolate yourself, you start using the enemy's tactics, which is lying, to cover your tracks. Okay, so catch this. When the enemy lies to you and you buy it without even realizing it, what I'm telling you, like what naturally happens is you're going to isolate and then you're going to start using lies to cover your tracks. This is just what happens, particularly, um, and remember, this is my experience. I'm just telling you, I've seen it over and over in others too. You start playing the enemy's game without even realizing it. You find excuses. You find justifications. You use cover-ups, which are all just fancy words for lies, to protect yourself and to cover up your isolation so that at least temporarily you can back out of your calling. So friends, this is where we're headed over the next few weeks. We're going to unpack all of these things that I've just listed. We're going to talk about who is this enemy and what does he want from me? And we're going to talk about when it's the enemy. How do I know if it's the enemy and how do I know if it's just me? And then we're going to talk about how do you fight a lion? It's a bad game to play. It's a terrible situation to be in, but God's given us everything we need to fight a lion so that God is the victor. It's going to be fun. It's going to be super practical. And bottom line, I hope God uses it in your life so that you can stay focused on running your race at the speed to which God's asked you to run it, thereby fulfilling your calling. Just for the record, when we talk about calling, at least on here in our podcast, we're talking about how scripture identifies and calls, let's talk to women, women saying, I will say yes. I'm going to see every even mundane little ordinary act in my life as a chance to be obedient, 
worship God and use who I am, who God's made me to be, to influence others to see Jesus. That's it. Calling isn't this big, impossible, landmark, role, job, calling, stage. Nope. Calling is saying yes to Jesus and the teeny tiny things throughout our day. So let's step into our calling together. Okay, friends, can't wait till next week. We're going to get really in the thick of this stuff. Take care, friends. Bye-bye.